source, your home for reptiles ruling the world. My name is Nathan, your scaliest host. My name is Deep Throat. Andy Deep Throat? No, just Deep Throat. Okay. And Deep Throat. And I'm Pat. I'm actually just millions of centipedes. Hmm. Well, uh, today we... Uh, well, we'll get into it in a second. We're talking about conspiracy theories today. Yeah. But, how's everybody's week? How's it going? Good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Did anybody do anything interesting this week? I'll, I'll tell you what, like, it's pretty nerdy, but we got, we are revisiting in our uh, collective D&D group <laughs> a, uh, like, a campaign that we had run before, and I'm very excited to get back to it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I have a character that I love from it that is changed a little bit, but it's super, <laughs> super fun. So we did that uh, yesterday, and I had a blast doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess in, I'll kind of piggyback off of that because mine is also gaming nerdy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've made I've had a little bit of time on my hands lately. Um, the time I didn't really want to have, but there we are. And so I've I've spent some of that time working on developing a, a little a little um a role play game based on Star Wars. Killer, yeah. Don't tell Disney. Don't. Um, <laughs> oh man, yeah. Why are you um, trying to out nerd me? Well, so I, I I made a bunch of kind of really big updates uh, over the last couple of weeks that, that I'm really excited to um, to test out, and I think it might be fun. Maybe just spitballing yeah. here, just came up with this idea, but maybe uh, once it's kind of like worked up and somewhat finished, we uh, could. Do an episode of playing it. Yeah, that would be, a, that'd be a bonus. That would be a bonus episode that people yeah. can definitely skip if they yes, totally <laughs> skip that. But most of you probably should. Um, <laughs> but those of you who want to listen to it, that'll be seven hundred dollars. There we go. <laughs> Tough but fair. Well, so it's also um, so coming up this week. It's my nephew's one year birthday. So happy Hooray! birthday, Connor! Uh, super happy for him. Uh, I saw this book. They have quantum physics, and they have, like, quantum entanglement and, like, a couple of different, like, quantum mechanics books for children. These are the ones... I sent you this, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm super interested in... Uh, so, that that's could be awesome. a really cool, like, gift for him. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but we're going, we're going down and uh, going to see the family and get some ice cream. My sisters are going to both be in town, so... It's really exciting. My um, my sister in law actually is having a baby shower a week from yesterday, or a week yeah, a week from yesterday. Yeah, congratulations. Yes, thanks. I, I have two nieces on the way. Very I mean, excited. you should awesome. really you should really shower your baby like every day, maybe every other day. I would say bathe, but you know, I mean, showers are tough when if your baby can't stand up, right? It's kind of weird. They get too slippery. There is so much Nothing about like, like child care baby <laughs> that has like conflicting information too. That's like. So, I mean, this isn't necessarily directly related to childcare, but um, I've heard that showering is actually bad for you if you do it too much because you can strip away essential bacteria that grow on your skin that are like symbiotic with. Oh, you. for sure, um, microbiomes. And actually, we could. I a friend, one of my very very best friends. Um, she that is what she studies is microbiomes. microbiomes sure, and we could definitely have her on. Actually, she's the daughter of the cop that. 
we wanted to have, we were nice. talked about having on. I would yeah, love to um, have an expert on that. Every could really talk, give us the, the real scoop on it is really fascinating. We'll just yeah. have every member so... of that family on yeah. for something different. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. This is Eddie, he's 12, he makes a mean grilled cheese. <laughs> See, talk about grilled use, cheese recipes. You want to use Gruyere and sharp cheddar. That is actually what you want to use for grilled cheese. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you sent me that. Uh, that was really good. Oh, it's from recipe. the movie Chef, yes. Yeah. Um, whole lot better than American cheese. And for the listeners, I used air quotes because American cheese is garbage. Here's the thing. You say that, but there is something to be said. Two slices of Wonder Bread and two slices of the plastic they call American cheese. It has to be craft. You can't go... You can go generic on the bread. You cannot go generic on the cheese. It needs to be craft. I will because tell, it melts in a certain you, way. Yes. Because it's got a certain consistency. Something to be said about that. Blech. Something delicious. <laughs> Vel- Velveeta is also good. Again, no, it's I, not. Velveeta is delicious. <laughs> as long as you don't confuse it for real cheese. The the Clintons are suiciding my taste buds right now. <laughs> Oof. There's, there's oh, that's an excellent transition. transition. You're welcome. Sure. You're welcome. Because um, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Clinton. No, well, conspiracy partially. theories. Yeah. Mm. Um, and in particular, I think we wanted to talk about anti-vax. We, we, well, we started out, we were doing an episode Actually, on anti-vax, then we were going to do an episode on Flat Earth, and I think I, for one, didn't want to do all the research, like, immediately, well, and I think what I want to talk about is conspiracy theories in general. Well, it's funny, because actually, while you were still sleeping from your Saturday night of driving, mm-hmm. um, Pat and I in the, in the morning had been messaging about, what do you want to do? Oh, and we came up with this idea to do conspiracy theories, and we kept discussing and narrowed it down to one or two conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. presented it to you, and that's when we went right back to <laughs> all the conspiracy theories. Well, yeah. It was so, just that none of us, like, we decided this all- yesterday, yeah. and, like, I think if you want to do any of these well, you need to do a ton of research on any specific one. But I think you can talk about conspiracy theories as a whole yeah. uh, with not as much research. With To be fair, the, these also have been done to death. And, like, slam dunking on the, like, quote-unquote wrong right. opinions is something that has been done. The research is readily available. The arguments for it are also readily available. Right. Um and yeah, absolutely. Like we, and we were talking about it offline, but when we do, let's say, a moon landing episode, I I would like to be able to present both sides. If if there are facts that we need to be able to see about it being fake, I'd like to be able to put those out there. Mm-hmm. And then if we can go ahead and prove those facts are <laughs> not facts, then that so be it. Yeah. So or um, vice versa. Hundred percent. So for today. Our goal is to kind of survey a few big, big uh, headline conspiracy theories, yeah? Like mm-hmm. a sample, it's kind of like, like a sample platter. Yeah. Right. And just get a feel for them. I, I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm especially interested in um, when it comes to conspiracy theories is the psychology of how people fall into these. And I'll tell you, I subscribe to a few conspiracy theories myself that I fully recognize very well may not be true. I'm excited because I think you both do. Yeah. I don't think I do, but I, I might no. I, like I might have blinders on. But here's the thing, not all conspiracy theories are the same level of bizarre. And I think that might be an excellent point for us. Uh Pat, 
wrote uh, an opening for us to start with that I think would be really good for us to read now before we get into our whole thing. As a way of introducing this episode, I want to start with a message about the truth and being good consumers of information. Today, control of information is a daily global power struggle. It is constant, interconnected, and with myriad competing factions over the information you receive. Today, more than ever, it is important that we, as consumers of information, consider the role of critical thinking very seriously. What that means is, at all times, you must consider what kind of source does this information come from? Is it a primary source, a direct witness to the event, a secondary source that is not a direct witness to the event, a scientific source that is subject to peer review before publication, a quote-unquote trustworthy news source, a dubious news source, a historical source, a meta-analysis of data. All of these types of sourcing have different implications upon the information presented. What is essential is that all, at all times you consider who has provided this information, why have they provided this information, could they have any ulterior motives or something to gain from distorting or being deceptive about the truth? And especially, is this source trustworthy? Bias is literally all around us. No data or information exists entirely without bias. And if you have any doubt about the source of information, always regard it with skepticism. The best data comes from replicable, peer-reviewed, and meta-analyzed scientific and historical sources and direct eyewitness accounts. Although, unfortunately, direct eyewitness accounts are at times less reliable than one might hope. For that reason, exercise extreme caution. Listener beware. Today, we are tackling conspiracy theories and misinformation of various types, and as such, all the ideas presented in this episode should be filtered through your most skeptical lens of good information consumption. The truth should always be your guiding principle not affirmation of your preconceived beliefs and biases. So when we're talking about conspiracy theories, I think it really boils down to who do you not trust with providing factual information? So if you're looking at anti-vax, you don't trust doctors to have your best interests in mind. You don't so, trust doctors to give the right recommendation. And why not? Are we are we getting into this one or or sure are sure you some, well some I was I, I was going to make a point about like a couple of other ones okay sorry 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 and again Didn't we don't necessarily to. have all the information like right at our fingertips mm -hmm. we can always go ahead and throw to a fact check sure but so, so flat earth right out there. so flat earth you wouldn't necessarily trust NASA with giving you right. accurate information and the the reasons that you might not trust your doctor is. Uh, you might be thinking that your doctor doesn't have your particular best interests in heart. They aren't analyzing the risk properly for you that they are putting, this is just a potential argument, but they are putting the value of herd immunity over the value of risk to a single individual. Well, and even if we kick back to your disclaimer, you listed a few questions to ask, right? Right. One of those questions is, does this person have anything to gain by lying to me? Right. Right. And I think that the, that's where, you know, you look at, say, NASA or doctors who are trying to 
Ostensibly, they get kickbacks of some kind. A doctor probably gets kickbacks from administering more vaccines. We know that they get kickbacks for prescribing Certain more drugs and other medications. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so a real problem, is over-prescribing over drugs that you are so like, not being, you being paid for... Um, uh, promoting, and that's actually specifically against your Hippocratic mm -hmm. Oath. You are not supposed to accept any kind of gift, but, um, you know, they, they will take doctors out for expensive meals. They will send, send them on. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, like, this is just like casually accepted when really it's a, it's a major violation of that, uh, trust that the public puts in doctors. Absolutely. I don't think, I don't think every doctor is guilty of this, but I think that there are plenty of examples where doctors are. Well, and I think, you know, it's, it's probably, it's, it's definitely a direct violation of the Hippocratic oath that they take. Is it in and of itself though? Unethical or unethical? Um, are, I would that's say much more debatable. I think it's it's against the Hippocratic oath if they think it will do harm. If they think it's possible, it can right. do harm. If because the Hippocratic oath, they and, first do no harm. Yeah, first yep. do no harm. And so, if they don't think it's going to do harm, do harm. If it's a sugar pill or whatever, I too have seen a TV show about a doctor. Right. <laughs> I think we all have. Like, it's it's like Nash. when we talk about it's like when we talk about police. Like, oh, I know about this because I saw an episode of Chips once. <laughs> yes. So, oh no, doctors no. taking no. kickbacks is very real. Oh, yeah, sure. absolutely, very real. Yeah. That's that is not a conspiracy so, theory and, for today. And the reason I bring that up is because it's not like this huge leap to get to this idea that maybe the doctors are getting a little something for vaccinating kids. And, and, that, and go ahead. Why well, I, I was what I was going to say is like that also makes sense as a conspiracy theory to me or just like not even conspiracy theory because we can talk to people who have worked for pharmaceutical companies in the past. Who will say, oh yeah, no, it was my job to go to these doctors and push them to sell you Benadryl tricks. I, I, you, you ever seen those pens, like the Vi Viagra pens yeah. or other medication pens? <laughs> I mean, those are. Have I ever? Those are gifts that are like just given to doctors. You might think that that's like an innocuous I gift. I there was a way to make a Viagra pen that was real droopy. Uh, maybe Placid, they, you I, could call it. I, just shake it a little bit. And <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think that's a real thing, actually. It's got to be, right? Somewhere. Um, but anyway. so is it ethical for um, doctors to be uh, taking these kickbacks? I would argue maybe that it is always unethical. Yes. Yes. It's always unethical. Doctors should be making decisions based on science and research and 0% on how much cleavage the drug, uh, the drug, uh, representative, re for sure. representative had. Yeah, I, I think, uh, <laughs> are you talking about that episode of Scrubs now? Oh, yeah. That was uh, a good episode. Wow. So, not just that. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen several TV, please. Oh, the, yeah. I've done my research. I've seen several TV research. shows. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. We're joking about that being valid research, but we're doing, we're joking about that on the conspiracy theory episode. So, Penny, Maybe Penny on the large POW hypothesis was also a drug uh, representative. I'm sorry, what? what? The large POW hypothesis. Some people know it as the Big Bang Theory. I have taken uh, upon it the large POW hypothesis. You know, a Great. hypothesis thanks, and thanks a theory yeah. are definitely very far from the same thing. Yep. Like, I, a hypothesis is 
this idea that hasn't been tested at all and a theory is a, a, a fact that is, well, as close to a fact as science would ever claim. No! Needs to be, it's that's used, been tested it's used over interchangeably. Over and over and over no, over right. Yeah. I because, like, uh, string be. theory, string theory has not a single shred of proof that would establish it the way that, like, the, uh, theory of gravitation has a lot of proof let's come it. back to string theory because string theory uh, is not well let's supported. not come back to string theory but like today no, no not today not um, let's get back to but, be awesome but i do think that like directly related to what we're talking about today is that word theory and mm-hmm. what it means in a scientific uh in a scientific uh context <laughs> thank you fact check fact check fact check and welcome back to fact check There's a common misconception often pushed in bad faith by deniers of evolution, climate change, etc., of the scientific use of the word theory. In casual conversation, theory is often used to mean guess or a hunch with little to no evidential support. However, to be accepted, a scientific theory must be strongly supported by many varying lines of evidence and substantiated through repeated experiments or testing. The word theory in a scientific context allows for additional strongly supported evidence to be considered and to change and influence scientific theories in the future. And that's it. Let's get back to the show. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Can I can I bring it back to vaccines though? I think that there is a real risk like a non-zero risk in vaccinating your kids i think that it is overwhelmingly less risky to to vaccinate your kids but i think it's a non-zero risk proposal to vaccinate them some people do have adverse reactions some people do um you know have compromised immune systems that are not prepared to take even the weakened form of a virus or, you know, whatever's in Absolutely. And that's why, that's why herd immunity is so important Yeah, because those people can't protect themselves with vaccines. We've been talking a little bit about the, the anti-vax conspiracy theory, and I'd like to just get everybody kind of all on the same page in case our listeners don't know a lot about this theory, just a little bit of background information. So the claim is essentially that the pharmaceutical and, well, mainly the pharmaceutical industry um, has been covering up this link between vaccines and autism. This was based on a paper published in 1998 by a... Andrew Wakefield. By Andrew Wakefield. Nice. Pat had that right off the top of his head. He did. He's he's been... I did my homework. He actually prepared for this. Um, (laughs) So the paper was proved completely fraudulent. The doctor is now di- disgraced and a former doctor. Um, uh, I think 10 out of 13 people whose names were associated with that paper have retracted their involvement from the, the paper, Sounds uh, their, right. their support of the paper. Nonetheless. It was reported and it's hard. Once something like yeah. that is out there, it's virtually impossible to it's, take it away. Yeah, it's like trying to get pee out of the swimming pool. 
The <laughs> yeah, there I wouldn't you go. necessarily <laughs> use that analogy, but I would. The I did. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who came up with the theory of the alpha wolf. Oh like, no! Yeah, the guy he's who came been up with fighting yeah. that so much. Like, no, it's not what you mean. Well, but the thing about it is, when he released the book, and it turned out that the the way they came up with it is, uh, they were out in the woods, they were watching these wolves, and they noticed that there was uh, one or two particular wolves that everybody else followed. And they would they'd go where they wanted, they would, like, eat with them, they would go ahead and sleep when they told them to sleep and everything. And he released a book about how they're these alpha wolves. Well... Because that came later. Importantly, this is the foundation of dog psychology. Right. Like, this is the foundation of how we train dogs. So he... But he wrote, he wrote a book on this, and then, as it was still being sold, he realized, oh, that's the mom and dad. Those other wolves are following them around... Because they're the parents. And so he wrote another book that he self-published that was out at the same time his book was still a bestseller and nobody would read it. Everybody was still reading the original book. So I'm just saying, once a piece of information is out there, it's out there. You lose control over it. Right. And especially if it's something that resonates with what people already believe. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Wildlife biologist L. David Meech was the name of the man who wrote The Wolf in 1970. Here he is talking about alpha wolves and his part in spreading the misconception. Uh, the term alpha is, um, isn't really accurate when uh, describing most of the um, leaders of, of wolf packs uh, because uh, it implies, the term implies, uh, that uh, the wolves fought and um, competed strongly to get to the top of the pack. In actuality, the way they get there is merely by mating with a member of the opposite sex, uh, producing a bunch of offspring, which are the rest of the pack then, and uh, becoming the natural leaders that way, just like with a pair of humans producing a family. Instead of using the term alpha for a wolf, instead of saying alpha male or alpha female, uh, scientists now tend to call wolves like that the breeding male and the breeding female. and um, Or you can call them the mother wolf and the father wolf. There's really nothing wrong with that. Uh, those are much better and more accurate terms than the term alpha. Uh, actually, um, you know, I'm uh, very much to blame for the term alpha being used with wolves. Um, I published a book in 1970 that now has over 110,000 copies in circulation, and in that I labeled the top uh, wolf in the pack the alpha. And I did that because at that time that's all that science knew. But uh, we've learned a lot. That, pub that book was published in 1970, and in the 35 years since that time, uh, we've learned an awful lot. One of the things we've learned is that the term alpha is really uh, incorrect when applied to most uh, wolf pack leaders. And that's it. Back to the show. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Yeah. Or, or it has like a resonance yeah. with, with people. It's not exactly right, but there's that Twain quote. A lie has a chance to get around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. Mm -hmm. Sounds about right. So it's not exactly a lie, but it is like it, once you find out it's the there's a fallacy out there. Yeah, and there are definitely people making oh, bad faith arguments. And that guy's been doing TED talks and all sorts of stuff mm -hmm. to to try to correct it. Like ever since. So so an important part about the. Uh, faulty autism vaccine link is also 
the timing. Um, in early childhood, you're looking for certain markers of development, like speech or uh, you know, walking or attempting speech or attempting communication, and also like openness with others. And autism exists on a spectrum, but it, it primarily deals with difficulty in uh, communication with others. That's, that's one of the primary symptoms mm -hmm. of autism. And uh, the age where you start seeing this development is around the same age that kids are old enough to start getting their vaccines. So even if it's too short of a time period for a vaccine, even theoretically that could have caused autism, it's too short of a period of time from when they received the vaccine to an autism diagnosis, the closeness and association of that short period of time makes that association very strongly in uh, some parents' minds. And when you're sure. dealing with your kid, I mean, you're dealing with a huge emotional investment, an investment of your life into this person that you're hoping, you know, grows up to be functional and happy and healthy and, you know, getting a diagnosis like that can be a real emotional blow. So I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but my stepson, Charlie, uh, has autism. And I think about it every day, how incredibly lucky we are because he's, he's on the spectrum. He does have trouble communicating a little bit, but he's empathetic. He is very self-sufficient. For example, he went uh, to the library a mile and a half from our house by himself earlier today. And he does that fairly often because we want to make sure that he's as independent as possible. But the fact is I can make sure he has his phone and send him on his way and trust that he's going to get there and get back. And mm -hmm. that if he has any trouble, he's going to be able to call me and tell me where he is for, for most parents uh, of children on the autism spectrum they would they would kill for that kind of autonomy right in their kids and charlie and, is also interesting and rare in that he is very empathetic he's like he he can show like he loves us and he will show it and that is not something that's always easy for people on the spectrum to do mm. charlie is a joy i will say he's he's a very bright and very you know Pleasant. very easy to get along with guy affable <laughs> affable guy yeah. But that's, I mean, and so I think about it all the time, like, that is wonderful, but I will tell you, I didn't, I didn't start. been vaccinated. But, well, that's, that's <laughs> it. That is, like, that's I'm sorry. Right. Does, 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 does that, so, people, so does but... that really, uh, like, strike a, a, a chord with you, like, in the wrong way? Does that really, like, uh, hit a nerve when people are saying that there's this link? between vaccines and autism? Like, does that strike if, a personal chord with you? If there was, it wouldn't be a problem. I mean, and we'll get into this in a minute. The The, the point, I, let me talk about that in a second. But what I, what I wanted to get with with Charlie was I started dating Sarah when Charlie was about eight. He's 22 now. And so I've been in his life far longer than I haven't been in his life. But I missed most of the really difficult stuff. And I'm not saying that there there aren't, that it's not additional work for everybody in the family, his mom, his dad, his stepmom, myself, 
But I would also say his brother, his older brother, had a different kind of childhood than he would have had he had a brother that was not on the spectrum. Sure. And I think one thing that happens when you get that diagnosis, when you realize your child is autistic, is you were talking about you have all these expectations for your kids. You know, you just want them to be healthy. You want them to have like 10 toes, 10 fingers. You want them to be healthy and you want them to have an easy life. And you realize all these things like get piled on you as soon as this diagnosis happens where you your kid isn't going to have an easy life and you're not going to have an easy life. And it's going to take all this extra work. And with Charlie, there were years, years before I showed up where he had trouble... I think the reason why uh, a vaccine causing autism could be so attractive to certain families, certain type of people, is your life is completely different than you thought it was going to be. It's, you, you know this immediately as soon as you, you find that out. Your life is not going to be the way it was. And having something to blame, yeah, I think, would be really, really attractive for some people. And... That's that's a rough thing. We we don't know what causes this now. And so if you don't know what causes it, you can't stop it. You can't do anything. And so was this my fault? Like you're never you're never going to know what it what it was. But does that get under your skin when somebody makes a claim like that? I think more than another person probably. And it'd be interesting to have that same conversation with Sarah. Sure. Because she's been she deals with it. I am the yeah. stepdad, and as far as I'm concerned, Charlie is my son. Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, no question. But yeah. he's got another, he's got a dad, and I think, like, that's wonderful. His dad is in his life, and he's yeah. got a stepmom, and he's got grandparents, and, you know, like, the whole thing. So, just to kind of, and, and not to be unsympathetic, was, I realize it's, that, I mean, that it, is, it is... Charlie's awesome. Turns your life upside down, though. Right. Everything is a lot more involved, a lot more work, Um but just to bring kind of back to the vaccine discussion, or or really specifically what does cause autism, because we do kind of know, we know that autism is a genetic, I don't, I don't there, like there, the, there is a genetic component. There yes. are environmental components as well. It's not well understood. It is on the rise, but there is a question of whether it's maybe just more diagnosed now right. with the same incidence rate, because now with modern psychology, we are getting better at diagnosing it. And we're also finding that it's like this whole spectrum of people. It really is an open question right now in science. Like what are the exact factors? There are risk factors that they have looked at. Um, Mm -hmm. We were talking about microbiomes earlier. Microbiomes may play some part in it. Um, There could be environmental factors that are maybe not as well understood like and i don't want to point this out uh specifically but like an environmental toxin uh like mercury could be i'm not singling out mercury is definitely a cause but some some sort of environmental factor that could come from like industrial pollution or you know something with our modern diets or you know any any number of things that could come from the environment and I don't want to seem like I'm an expert on the topic just because I have a son that has autism. But what I will say is when we talk about the spectrum, we talk about the spectrum for a reason because this uh, represents in a variety of different ways. That's why I started fact, out. 
talking about how self-sufficient Charlie is mm -hmm. because on that same spectrum is are adults who are 30 plus years old who can't say a word yeah. who like can't can't really like get up and do anything can't like go to the bathroom on their own things like that and those two people are on the same spectrum they have the same uh, what do you disease disorder what i don't I mean, like any of these I don't know terms what, i don't because... know what you would... But um, but yeah, it's all the same thing. Just maybe call it spectrum well, as a noun. It's it's they're on the spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, I so, think you could. I think you'd easily call it a disorder. I'll I'll go ahead and I believe look that's into it, but... the proper term. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to fact check. ASD or autism spectrum disorder refers to a broad range of conditions characterized by challenges with social skills repetitive behaviors, speech, and nonverbal communication. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper, though, in determining what classifies something as a disease or a disorder. A disease is a health condition with a clearly defined reason behind it, resulting from a pathophysiological response to external or internal factors. You guys have to be a little bit impressed that I got pathophysiological on the first try. Pathophysiological means the physiology of abnormal states. A disorder is the disruption of the disease to the normal or regular functions of the body or part of the body. The example that I saw in a couple of places was a heart arrhythmia. The arrhythmia isn't the disease itself, it's the side effect or the result of the disease. Both autism and Asperger's are considered diseases, but the disorder that is treated and cared for is autism spectrum disorder. And there we go. Let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. So I, I can tell you, I, for a fact, I know several adults who are on the spectrum of Asperger's. Uh, not you know, not non-functional people, highly functional people, but who have uh, obsessive tendencies, who uh, experience like ritualistic rep uh, repetitive behavior. Um, I've had, you know, my my math teacher in high school said that he he wasn't diagnosed, but he he felt like that he was undiagnosed on the spectrum. Well, and this is the wild thing because you're talking about people being diagnosed more. And I've read several stories about people living into their adulthood and finding out they were on the autism or the Asperger's spectrum after they were already an adult, like yeah. graduated from college, like gotten married, yeah. all these things. I'm and then they find out, sure oh, sure, my grandfather, we, my mother and I have this theory that my grandfather was autistic. Um, I saw something recently. I've always had some difficulty with the idea of a spectrum because for the most part, when people, when you say spectrum, what most people think of is a, a from A to B a linear yeah, spectrum, line. and that is just insufficient when it comes to autism. There's been so much research and so much development, both in in the understanding of the disease, but also in how to handle people who have autism. Oh, sure, you go back, um, you go back fifty, sixty years, and we threw them in asylums. Right, they lived their entire life yeah. in a cage. They were yeah. So I like to picture now. Um, there's so I've seen a few things that I that I like. One is sort of a Think of like a color wheel spectrum mm -hmm. where it all kind of flows into each other. I, I liked that idea because that kind of 
displays all sure. these different qualities. But I saw something recently I thought was a really great visualization. It was like basically a mixing board with like a you know, two dozen sliders on it, and each of those little sliders is, you know, your... Oh, that's your, interesting. Um, so yeah, you have, so she you still have your line, but, like, each line, like, along the line... has a, like, up and down and different levels of each different thing, because every single case of autism is unique. Every single person with autism is so much more so more unique. There's one of your... Ugh. You can't say that. <laughs> it's unique, or it's yeah. not. Um, but everyone... Extremely Who has rare. Autism That's... is so very unique and it's very special. And the emphasis is on the positivity of the uniqueness, right. not on the fact of the uniqueness. But anyway, vaccines. Well, but so, so yeah. To bring back, I think that conversation was important um, because I think a lot of people have people on the spectrum who they care about in their lives, or they know people who know who have people in uh, their lives that are on the spectrum. And I think that sets up the stakes for why the anti-vax movement mm-hmm. is so powerful. Yes. Because we're talking about moms and dads and brothers and sisters and family and, and friends. Nurses and caregivers. and Who care deeply for these people. And suddenly somebody tells them, hey, I have all these, like, I have all these details. And this doctor said that you can blame vaccines for it. And suddenly we're off to the races. Yeah. This person that I love has been hurt, and there's this thing that caused it, and how can I take care of that? Well, and, and I think that is maybe the a nice pivot point, this idea of it's a switch from, oh, this person I love is autistic, to this person I love has been given autism in a harmful way by someone. Yes. And now... All of that frustration that they've been dealing with, and this is what you were talking about earlier, all that pent-up frustration with dealing with that day-to-day living. They have a target. Now gets, yeah, it's got It's got directed somewhere. And all all I'm saying is, I think this is important because it lets us know why people who talk about this stuff are so passionate. So passionate. So, but I feel like we're forgetting the time before vaccines. It's almost like this uh, fairy tale that we tell each other, you know, like in 1976, a million people died of measles, like a million people. You know, that that sounds like, uh, you know, a boogeyman that you tell your kids before they go to bed. Do you just make up that story or is that like a real? Uh, We could fact check. Is that a real uh, event? I was I'm just curious. Let's do a micro fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. According to the World Health Organization, measles is a highly contagious, serious disease caused by a virus. Before the introduction of measles vaccine in 1963 and widespread vaccination, major epidemics occurred approximately every two to three years, and measles caused an estimated 2.6 million deaths per year. More than 140,000 people died from measles in 2018, mostly children under the age of five years, despite the availability of a safe and effective vaccine. Smallpox is the only disease that has ever been eradicated, thanks to a vaccine push from the World Health Organization. The last known case of smallpox was treated in Somalia in 1977. There's one death from a laboratory accident in 1978, and the disease was officially declared eradicated in 1979. Smallpox had been around for at least 3,000 years, 
Anyone who got it had an incredibly infectious 10-foot cloud hovering around them. It would kill one in every three people who got it, and the death toll is estimated between 300-500 million people, more than all the wars in history combined. Its eradication is simply one of the greatest achievements in human history. And that's it. Let's get back to the show. Back check. Back check. Back check. So, Pat, talk to us a little bit about what is this alleged link from between vaccines and autism? Right. So, um, there are a lot of chemicals that are present in vaccines. Chemicals. Can I pause you here really quickly because this is just a stupid little pet peeve of mine. A lot of science nerds love pointing out when someone says, oh, there's chemicals in something. They love going, well, chemicals are everything. That's matter, right? Uh, Yeah, we get it. We know. When we say chemicals, we're really specifically talking about harmful chemicals, unnecessary chemicals. So maybe I should say that there is matter in vaccines. No, well, I think... We, we shouldn't really have to put this disclaimer, just use some common sense. Okay, but, I mean, among that list are things like formaldehyde, arsenic, cyanide, mercury. In tiny doses, thimerosal is uh, the compound that contains mercury. And mercury in large doses is a neurotoxin. Mercury poisoning is one of the most horrendous fates that you would never wish on your worst enemy. And there, I mean, there are, there's more diesel that I could go into yeah, about sure. that, but we don't well, need listen, to in this conversation. There's the old joke of uh, getting mercury poisoning just from going swimming in Lake Erie. Uh, I mean, you could eat fish that are bottom like dwellers it. in Lake Erie, and you could get yeah, right. a certain amount of mercury. I don't know if it's enough to kill you, but... Right. Um, it might make you sick. Anyway, so mercury uh, so, bad. So large so there are these there are these boogeyman chemicals that are present in tiny microscopic amounts, like we're talking like fifty parts per million, like extremely negligible doses that are present in vaccines. Like for example, they put aluminum in vaccines to increase the potency of yeah. the vaccine. So if these are if these boogeyman chemicals are in such minute doses, you use the word negligible doses. Why are they in there at all? Uh, well, that is a good question. I actually do have the answer <laughs> to this one. Oh, uh, I do want to credit um it's Hank Green, who I stole all that information from. So thank right you, on. Hank Green. Thanks, Hank Green. Whole lot better than Gary. Anyway, so... Screw you, so, Gary. Uh, so, so, Gary aside, um, yeah, so the answer to that question, the reason why they have these, these little chemicals in such small doses in the vaccines is because they stimulate the immune system. The immune response. So the whole idea of a vaccine is it's got either uh, severely like weakened or dead virus or bacteria rather. Then it's got these little stimulators. So the purpose of the vaccine, the way it works, is it gives you the disease just a little, little, tiny, tiny bit so that your white blood cells can fight it off. And now they know how to fight that disease. So they will be able to attack it a million times more efficiently if you were to catch it normally. And so that's kind of the deal. Those boogeyman chemicals are in there to help activate that immune response. What's vitally important is that we have nearly eradicated some of these diseases like uh, measles, polio, uh, mumps, rubella. Uh, There there are all these diseases. We have actually wiped out smallpox. Effectively, 
smallpox doesn't exist anymore except, except in, the lab. in the lab. Right. Yeah. And the only reason they keep it is in case it pops up again, they have the ability to quickly create a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Right. And people have kind of a short-term memory of the horrors of these uh, diseases. Now that they are gone, we feel kind of safe, and now we even have the luxury of exploring political (laughs) anti-vaxxerism. And can I just say, the thing that drives me nuts about this is the, what did you call the, uh, this group of uh, chemicals? Boogeyman chemicals. The the boogeyman chemicals. I like that. They are, they are perfectly framed to make a bad faith argument. Because all you have to do, it's, they sound scary. Sure. So if you want to try and get somebody on board who's already... murder chemicals. (laughs) Well, yeah. But if you want to try and get somebody on board who's already incredibly emotional and upset about finding out this information, and you say, did you know that thing that you put in your son's body last month had mercury and cyanide, et cetera, et cetera, in it, and it sounds scary, and you're not going to hear the next piece of that information. You're like, no one's going to be telling you hey, you need those in there to make the vaccine more effective. And this is how it works because you are not in a position to be thinking straight about this stuff necessarily. And right. that's not every, it's not everybody. Some of those are, I mean, all of those that you named are incredibly toxic, but formaldehyde is also produced in small amounts in your body by natural means. Uh, formaldehyde is a, a byproduct that right. you produce. So I'm just saying it's like a perfect storm for a bad faith argument to be formed because you have this uh, this thing that happened to someone you love and you have all these scary things that somebody mm-hmm. can mention and it's not wrong, but it's not the full truth. Quick side note, something I learned about how vaccines are made and developed in regards to the coronavirus that's currently murdering everyone. Little bastard. So I found out that vaccines, new vaccines are usually developed especially when you have a little bit of time to develop them, using chicken eggs in Hmm. enormous quantities. And the government buys huge amounts of eggs. Like fertilized eggs? Does it matter? Like like the kind of eggs that we buy at the store? And if you don't know, that's Not 100% sure on that. Okay. Um, Maybe a quick mini fact check, but... Mini fact check. According to University of Sydney pharmacologist Professor Peter Carroll, quote, when the flu vaccines are made, the virus is grown in the yolk of fertilized hen eggs. The use of chicken eggs in vaccines may soon be coming to an end, though. According to Dr. Scott Hensley, Ph.D., quote, producing flu vaccines in eggs can be a problem because flu viruses often acquire adaptive mutations when grown in eggs. These mutations can change the antigenic properties of the virus. Mini fact check. But they use eggs because they they cultivate relatively quickly, and so you can grow bacteria, cool. essentially, and see if the vaccine is working. I, I thought that was really cool. Like, and and apparently they just constantly buy up eggs at all the time, so that they <laughs> always have some on hand in case of an outbreak. Why didn't they, like, they should just start a chicken farm. They should just buy chickens and then sell them when they don't need them. uh, Well, I think it's easier to buy the chickens from private farmers because that also helps keep the economy, you know, in general. Screw the economy. That's what I say Um, about that. 
Okay, well, that makes sense, being as socialist as you are. Yep, I want all farmers to go under. But we're not talking about politics today, but that was just a quick little side note that I thought was interesting. But Um, we are also, since we're talking about the coronavirus, and as I brought up several times in the podcast, I like to spend my spare time uh, arguing with trolls on Facebook. And you want to know who's spreading misinformation? You want to know who doesn't believe that the coronavirus is actually anything to worry about? I'm going to guess it's the party that is currently uh, praying away the coronavirus. Yeah, it's it's not good. I I will say... I mean, I'm not trying to insult religion here, but I'm just saying maybe actually testing people and developing a vaccine would be a better course of action. As a scientist, though, have you made a hypothesis about prayer and coronavirus and then tested it. So you were telling us a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago that you were doing that. I would love well, to get an update on that sure. at the end of our at, at, with our precious moments or something. But okay. But yeah, no, I mean but no and yeah. and I will say like I I don't mind if Pence and his team praise at the beginning or the end or both of a meeting no. as long as there's like chock a block science all the way through the rest of that yeah. meeting. As long as but the prayer have, isn't the solution. They they have a team of I think about a dozen people dealing with this, and on that team they have two doctors, mm-hmm. and I don't think either of them has a specialty in infectious diseases. If, so it's just it's it's frustrating the way and and there is there is a medical doctor on the cabinet who was like chairman of this group and was sort of like superseded by uh, this nomination of pence to the the task force and they're they yeah yeah man i i wish i had his name so it's it's frustrating because what what i've been seeing the reason i bring it up is i've been able to see as i've been talking to these people about um the coronavirus the birth of a conspiracy theory because this is what trump has been pushing there are people like there's there's somebody at uh sarah's work who believes that the democrats have made up the coronavirus because they're trying to uh, use it against Trump. And they believe that because that's what Trump has said. So I've seen it that the Americans dropped a bioweapon in China at the location of this fish market, which is, by the way, right by a publicly known Chinese weapons manufacturing, Mm -hmm. like bioweapons manufacturing plant and that it is an American conspiracy against the East and against impoverished countries all over the world. So what would you say to that? I would say I'd love to see any information that backs that up. Right, right. I want to point out that there is no evidence. Right. And in fact, I, so, I believe the story last I heard is the evidence points to that it was actually from a Chinese Wuhan bio Wuhan I don't bio know weapons manufacturing plant. So I, heard I don't know necessarily bats. about what I've heard. The people ate bats. Wild yeah. bats were caught. Sold, uh, well, that's sold at a meat market. Ozzy, Not wild bats. Ozzy Osbourne. I, is there such a thing as domesticated bats? Yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, I don't know, but. Yeah. If I can, um, if I can use this to pivot again, yeah. sure. Because I don't want to get too bogged down with the details of any particular you want to talk conspiracy about, uh, conspiracy theory. Just to broaden it out. What I want to talk about is this is seems like a good time to talk about what is a reasonable piece of information, and what is just so 
the fact that there's a, a bioweapons factory there, that's something that would be interesting. In the same way cyanide is inside of vaccines is interesting, or the same way that the camera was off outside of Epstein's cell is interesting. <laughs> but, by, but by themselves, they're pieces yeah. of information, but they're not necessarily correlated to the thing that that people think they are. And so... Right. Right. So what you need to do right. is you need to take these separate pieces of information and form a hypothesis because there's things that we're not going to know. So we're just not going to like, yeah. again, go back to Epstein. Mi- minimally, I would say that the management of that prison left something to be desired. Yes. And you can, <laughs> but you can absolutely say that you can say all kinds of things. What you can't say is this is exactly what happened in that cell. Because we're not going to know. There's no. no. There's no documentation of it. No. What we oh, can do. Oh come on, though. Do, do you? Uh, let me. Let me finish my sentence. Okay. What you can do is use your brain. What you can do is take these disparate pieces of information, these different facts, and put them together and say, "Yeah, Jeffrey Epstein was definitely murdered in his cell for sure. There's no question of that." Right. I was going to make a like a emotional plea of like oh come on <laughs> yes I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to plead oh come on on this i was one. refraining right. personally but no I but i think it. Yeah. but i think so can, let's let's talk about epstein can for a second please yeah, yeah pizzagate can you actually can we ramp it up no with, we're we're not going to talk about pizzagate because that okay. didn't have anything to do with what we're talking about well, it has everything to do with jeffrey epstein the reason why we, why i want to talk about jeffrey epstein okay is because it is both a conspiracy theory and pretty obviously true at the same time, because there's a number of facts that show what happened. There's a number of facts. So I'm not as uh, like as up on the Epstein thing. I don't know if either Super. of you are. Uh, I know that the, I know that the camera's off. I know that his know that autopsy when it was himself. done. I <laughs> I know that the camera was off. I know that the op- autopsy showed a number of like really. Uh, disturbing wounds that you could not have caused, like, caused yourself. I know that, um, there were no guards going through the area at the time. Seems super, super sketchy. I also know that there's a whole bunch of very rich and powerful people who would like him to not give them up as pedophiles. So, who would, who would you trust with being a source for that information? So, the fact that there were a bunch of rich people that he uh, could have had blackmail on or could have had incriminating information on, but to get to the nitty-gritty details of things like the autopsy report, who who would you trust to receive that sort of information from? And I think that brings up a real question of, like, you know, do you trust the coroner? to do his job well? Do you trust the media and news outlets to report that accurately? Or do you trust the deep state to cover it up? Well. Yeah, I mean. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. But the weird I thing, use the hillbilly the accent thing is, as though that I'm trying but, to make it sound But the dumb, weird thing no, is, like, clearly the deep state is bullshit. <laughs> uh, at least from my perspective. But yeah, also, in this case... Or was it like? Can we can we define deep state? Well, yeah, I'm not clear like, on, on what that is. I feel like there's definitely some level of <laughs> so, so there's some so sort of some shadow government. There's the real government that we are shown on C-SPAN that we see debating in Congress and 
giving speeches to the elected officials, the elected and, officials the yeah. and the people deep, who collect the paycheck from the government. And the deep state is this idea that those are not really the people who are in charge. The people who are really mm-hmm. in charge not only don't have elections where they have transitions of power or term limits or anything like separation of powers to stop them, you know, to, to limit their power in any way, um, but also are completely anonymous and hidden from the public. Um, so that's the idea of the deep state. You think Zoolander's in trouble? <laughs> think again. What you stumbled upon goes way deeper than you could ever fathom. The fashion industry has been behind every major political assassination over the last 200 years. And behind every hit, a card-carrying male model. Okay, that's impossible. Oh, yeah? Listen and learn, sweetness. Abe Lincoln wanted to abolish slavery, right? But who do you think made the powdered wigs and colored leg stockings worn by our country's early leaders? Who got you? Slaves, Derek. And without their free labor, prices on such items would have gone up tenfold. So the powers that be hired John Wilkes Booth, the original model slash actor, to do Mr. Lincoln in. So it's very appealing, this idea of a shadow government that is really in charge. We see these public elected officials, and they're they're very fallible. They're very human. They stumble over their words. They make mistakes. You know, we, we see them you know, doing foolish things at times. And the idea that there is uh, a, another group that is secretly running everything, people are hardwired to uh, recognize patterns. And sometimes we recognize patterns that aren't even there. So if the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and maybe you're the type of person who uh, see things as continually getting worse regardless of which political party is in power and you just see this you know sort of slow uh decline of individual rights and uh you know workers wages and all sorts of things over time you're looking for something that would match that pattern and a shadow government that is running everything could be an explanation for that and the wild thing about people who believe in conspiracy theories in general for me is that, I will be honest, generally I'm like, I don't even think about them. I don't have to. I can just forget about them because they don't have a point. They don't, like, I generally I'm not going to listen to them if they don't see science, you know? But the other part of that is they're also, by their very nature, critical thinkers, which for me is huge. I love people who are critical thinkers. I think that is a an incredibly good trait to have. And so this two things where... You're a critical thinker about the stuff that you can't prove. So again, take your take your Epstein situation. It seems really obvious, right? I mean, it seems incredibly obvious, but you're not going to be able to prove it. And let's say somebody did send somebody in to kill him. Who was it that killed him? Who was it that ordered it? We're never going to know that information. So you make a hypothesis, but you're not going to know. If you have that same sort of mind frame but about vaccines or a flat earth or something like that. So I think you're striking on this really important concept of falsifiability. Well, yeah, okay, that's a big thing. So Um, so what what is falsifiability? Falsifiability Mm. is 
putting forward theories and hypotheses that are in the realm of things that you could go out and check. Yeah. Things that you could test about the world. And this, for the record, is the only thing that science is interested in. Science as a discipline, as a, as a, well, science isn't a discipline. Science is a process. Science is a mm-hmm. method. And that's exactly the point. If you can't prove it wrong, science isn't interested because science is in the business of essentially proving things right or wrong. Uh, well, proving things wrong or trying to prove them wrong and never being able to and then just finally deciding that it must be right. I mean, but that's, that's <laughs> the, the, the only thing the anti-vaxxers need to do or the flat earthers need to do is go ahead and like set up a lab. Go ahead and start running experiments and suddenly you're part of the scientific process. Mm-hmm. It, all you need to do is go out there and scientifically prove that vaccines cause autism. There's plenty of data out there. You can go ahead and run your own experiments. You can do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you want to prove that Earth is flat, I talk about this all the time. Weather balloon and a GoPro. Prove as soon, it. Like, as soon as like, you get up there, there's no curvature to the Earth, you're good to go. Yeah, but like, there, science, science is a process that you don't need to be in the club to do. Anybody can do science. You can get way better at it if you have like an education around it. Or but anybody can run, for equipment. But yeah, anybody can run an experiment. For sure. So I, I want to bring it back to, are you really satisfied with the answer of we will never know? And, and we're not talking about like a, a far out philosophical concept like, could life exist in stars that are billions and billions of light years away? We are talking about something that happened in a prison in New York in our lifetime, and there could be forensic clues somewhere that could mm-hmm. point us somewhere. I mean, are you really going to lump those into the same category I, of, my, of things that we can never know? Because I'm not satisfied. With right. It. My satisfaction has nothing to do with it. Whether I'm okay. satisfied or not is not the point. Whether you can prove it or not is... And I'm all for it. Like, let's send the entire FBI in there. Let's go ahead and grill the people who are working. Let's go ahead and get all the information we can. And if we can get a result, if we can, like, come up with proof, that's fantastic. And if it was Hillary Clinton, her, throw her in jail. If it was... Well, not just, I, I don't I don't think anybody's saying that Hillary Clinton walked into the prison. Oh, I, <laughs> no. Down the hallway she, she has and choked him with... With but, but what I will say, people for that. But I mean, <laughs> we don't know who was on the list. We don't. We don't know who was involved with that. Well, we're so, on like, the list now. So. I throw. Well, I throw. Corey Hill- Feldman says he knew who was on the list, and apparently is releasing that documentary today. By the way, I really heard about that. Yeah, check it out. But anyway, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, satisfaction is great, but satisfaction is not the goal here. Like, facts are the goal. That's how you figure out whether something is is true or not. All right, so would you categorize those two things in the same way? That uh, Epstein in his cell is the same way that we could, you know, we could never know if Mary Poppins exists. Well, Well, Mary Poppins I know, I can... P.L. Travers wrote the the, uh, Mary Poppins books, so I I feel pretty confident I can (laughs) disprove that one. But Uh, no, you're absolutely right. You're not not proving the non-existence of Mary Poppins. But not all conspiracies are created equal either. Not all conspiracies are created equal, right? Right. To your point, the, the conspiracy that aliens have visited Earth 
is on I believe it's pronounced group. Earth when you're referring to aliens. Earth. Earth. Welcome to Earth. I haven't heard that. Is that is that Independence Day? That's ID. That's ID four. Uh, before Will Smith punches an alien in the face, he says, "Welcome to Earth." Boom. Yeah, you I said ID ID four. Like is oh, Independence oh, Day is like the Fourth of July. Yeah. Oh, Independence okay, Day. Yeah. yeah. Um, Man, anyway. what a blockbuster! But anyway, um, so at any rate, welcome uh, to Earth. Whether or not aliens have visited Earth or Earth, either one. Sure. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, is is on a different level of provability or falsifiability than Jeffrey Epstein, whether he killed himself or was killed by someone. Because, and and, and the reason, one, you're proving a, a thing happened, the other, you're proving a thing didn't happen. Mm. You're, you're also not positing the existence of any supernatural or unnecessary entities to explain Epstein. You can use you can use very normal things that already exist and, you know, people and conspiracies and, you know, uh it, it's it's less to invent than it is for aliens. And I will also say that you could go ahead and the history channel. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens. I will also say you could go ahead and take somebody to trial without being a hundred percent sure of what happened. Mm. But I don't think we have anybody to send to trial. I don't we don't know who strangled him. We don't know who killed him. So what I'm all for is pulling all the threads that you can possibly pull. Yeah. And, and like those threads will pull out other threads and things like that, but at the end of the day, if you're out of threads, what what do you do? There there is there is an apathy and there's a resistance, I think, to the investigation. Right. And uh, so something that kind of came up earlier, and because we're we're t- we're not really like trying to pick apart any particular conspiracy theories here, we're talking about the <laughs> the notion anyway. of conspiracy. <laughs> oh yeah, we definitely will at some point. Um, but we're talking more about how this notion of various conspiracy theories take hold. And, um, and why they, they grow as opposed to dying out. Like, for instance, the Elvis is still alive conspiracy. That one is pretty much put we to can, rest. We can put that one to bed. No one is, and partially just because the length of had, time. Yeah, like, even <laughs> if he hadn't died when he supposedly died, he's probably dead now anyway, just of, well, how, how old like, would he be? Like 120 or something? Uh, I don't know, not that old. Not that old. Is he in his 90s or? What if he's one of the lizard people? Right, because lizard people, I mean, there's no well, see, implication actually, that they would have the same human lifespan. Exactly, exactly. But, but at any rate, um, you know, there's that, those sort of conspiracy theories that just fall off after enough time. And there's other ones like the moon landing where they seem to kind of keep getting that torch gets carried. And I think the torch gets carried mainly because it's more, it's about an event and not about a person. So yes, but the, the moon landing is wild to me because it's a good one. So there, there are a bunch of theories and there's a group of theories that I just won't ever believe in because, and the flat earth is the same way it would take. Hundreds of thousands of people being willing to all keep quiet about a thing. All knowing mm-hmm. a thing and keep quiet. Even if you compartmentalize the information. So so have you heard the theory that um, the moon landings were faked? And they were faked specifically by director Stanley Kubrick? 
who was such a perfectionist that he actually insisted that they film on location on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I think, but yeah, I, I think that we watched it happen. Like people saw the rocket take off. We saw it go into the sky. We had communication with the astronauts in space on the way there. We then had video of it happening as it landed. And there are a number of things that I think on their face seem like interesting ideas as to try and prove that it didn't happen. But for me, there was a Mythbusters episode right. where they just went through the 10 most popular or like most damning uh, pieces of evidence about the moon landing and one by one they knocked him out. So can I can I jump into the appeal? Please. Because regardless of the facts, we're going to take all the facts and we're going to just shelve them for a second. Take them out. The incentive for the US government to win the space race for their position as a global superpower mm-hmm. for you have to think about the propaganda war that was going on. Sputnik uh, nuclear weapons, the ability to uh, release a nuclear weapon from space. Later, um, Star Wars under the Reagan administration. Are you familiar with Star Wars? It was the yeah. the missile system that would take out incoming missiles. Ju- like it was supposed to be a missile shield, basically. right? Right. That would t- that would take out incoming uh, intercontinental b- ballistic missiles from Russia, and it, and was- it like wildly, incredibly, never even came close to start working. It right, but good. but it was about the propaganda war during the Cold War to tell the Russians, like, hey, you know, even if you have these nukes, we could just shoot them out of the skies. Right. But a, a, a huge part of the American ethos, a huge part of American pride was being number one at everything, being number one in the world at global superpower, and also being dominant in space. So if you're talking about the incentive and the motive to do it is definitely there, and the means to do it theoretically could have been there. I mean, so, so now I, you're just asking lo- about the, the facts. I haven't looked into yeah. this part of it before, but it is the idea, like, we actually launched the rocket, they came back down, but they just stayed up there in space for a while, and we, like, filmed the moon landing on a soundstage somewhere in Burbank. I think, actually, the, the claim, eh, we can fact-check this, I'm sure, but I think that the claim is they actually shot an, a rocket without anybody in it. Just to film the takeoff. Hmm. But we still saw... We have video of them coming back down. And and jumping around on the moon. Now, they're, they're well, saying that yeah. you can use... I think all that could be fake. Yeah, you could use an airplane and go uh, into a free fall to simulate zero gravity. I'm not pushing forward that I think that that's the case. Right. I'm just saying that it's it wouldn't be theoretically impossible to fake zero gravity. I think it would be probably very, very difficult to simulate it with a bunch of, you know, moon dust on the ground and this whole stage that you've set up. I mean, I I think the whole thing is very unlikely to have been staged. And I think, but none of us were were there and also none of us were, uh, well, I guess some of us were alive. Right. I, what what I was saying is, yeah, there are plenty of us who are alive. Mm-hmm. Um, not us, because I'm not that old. Right. Um, but I, am. but I also shot Kennedy. Yeah. So the there's this quote 
The only way to keep a secret between two people is if one of them is dead. Sure. I don't know who said that, but mini can, fact check? We do a mini fact check. Mini fact check. It turns out the quote I was talking about is from Ben Franklin. It was in Poor Richard's Almanac. The actual quote is, three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. Mini fact check. Can I just say, I love our mini fact checks and our regular fact checks. It makes me, like, I'm way less anxious during the episode, because if I screw it up, I'll just go ahead and... Like, put it in, or well, thank you for yet. all the legwork that you put into it. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's pretty dope. But I do make you guys look like jackasses sometimes, which is That's fine. like also great for me. I don't think I screw up though. I will tell you in the last episode, <laughs> and fans will have already heard this episode, presumably, uh, unless it's your first episode, and then thank Welcome. you. Welcome. Um, you but, got mail. But there's, <laughs> there's Welcome, one... Welcome anti vaxxers. Right. Thanks for sh- stopping uh, by. You're, so you're talking about Sartre and. You mentioned that it's kind of like Bernie Sanders, who thinks that all capitalism is equally bad, which is wildly untrue. (laughs) So (laughs) I went ahead and I didn't want to get the letters, although it would be awesome at this point to get any letters, (laughs) like, because it would mean that people were listening. That's true. But uh, I went in and I put in a Bernie quote of where he said, thank God for capitalism. Yeah. So. Well, don't, don't show that to his supporters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they think he... No, I, 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 I do know that about Bernie. I, I don't oh, sure. remember. It didn't matter. I'm sure in the moment like, I was being and, sur- somewhat... Yeah, and you went into talk... And you went on to talk about how, like, Sartre liked to talk in extremes. Yeah. Um. So, like, it made sense in context, but... Well, Sartre... Um, we're not doing a, it. We're not doing a full. All right, so. but but I will say that his his big convert, like the the point where he just really went all in on on communism, was when he decided to publicly defend the like gulags and mass murders and stuff like that in the defense of the greater good. I mean, and he really had to do some mental gymnastics for that one. Well, and he also believed in reptilians, which you know. <laughs> I mean, so do I. So anyway, um, anyway back, so so back to the moon landing. Well, actually, so yeah, I'd like to I'd like to read a little a little quote from one of my favorite authors, uh, Christopher Hitchens, and I think it's <laughs> extremely be topical. Like Howard Stern from Private Parts. <laughs> Christopher movie. Hitchens of what book fame? What what many books? But he also was really more of an essayist and columnist. Okay. Uh, more of a journalist type writer, but he had a few books. You probably wouldn't like them. Christopher Hitchens is famously one of the members of the so-called Four Horsemen of the Atheist Apocalypse. He goes uh, around and he, he well, talks, not anymore. He's I, don't, dead. I don't necessarily dislike. No, he's reading. He's, I understand. He's particularly venomous towards religion. He, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, that, I, I don't think that that... He makes interesting points. He's a really, really good writer. He does not really focus all of his attention on religion the way that people act like he does. Right. It is certainly a major point for him, but it is... Most of his writing, like, it's like maybe 25% of his writings. Okay. So, but... Christopher, does he have any but interesting What I love quotes? about him, he has a few interesting quotes. He, he can really turn a phrase. He really has a very delightful, dry British wit. That I love. Sure. So even some of his non-anti-religious writing is really good and fun. Sure. I don't think that being an idolater and a heathen uh, disqualifies you from like writing good prose or anything. Like, oh, I don't think that. That's... I get it because you're coming from that perspective. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm just being a It wasn't that funny. No, no, it was. I was just being a um, anyway, so, so, so this this quote. So um, Christopher Hitchens says, I like that we spent a yeah. half an hour like building up this quote. It better be really good now. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> so forgotten were the elementary rules of logic, that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and that what can be asserted without evidence can also be dismissed without evidence. I, I actually am familiar with that quote, and I mm-hmm. do love that quote. Yeah, it's a great quote. And similarly, there's a lot of, you know, you can talk about how do you approach these sorts of things? And I think there's a there's a line, I want to say it's something from Bertrand Russell, but I, I can't remember it exactly, so I'm going to do my best to paraphrase, um, that essentially that you should you should continually scale your belief to the amount of evidence available. Mini fact check. A habit of basing convictions upon evidence and of giving to them only that degree of certainty which the evidence warrants would, if it became general, cure most of the ills from which the world suffers. Bertrand Russell, Why I'm Not a Christian, and Other Essays on Religion and Related Subjects from 1957. Mini Fact Check So... If I have a ton of evidence that evolution happened over the span of billions of years on Earth, right, then if, then I should have a pretty strong belief in that. And I don't like using the term belief here because it has all this other connotation stuff. But um, when we're dealing with conspiracy theories, it really does come down to the evidence. And here's where you have a breaking point between, say, anti-vaxxers who have some they can draw correlations and we know correlations don't imply causation, but there's like data and there's some things that you can look up and read about. There's chemicals in these vaccines that are reasonable. It's reasonable to be concerned about, even if you don't, if you, you know, once you look into it, it starts to dissipate some of that concern. But then there's conspiracy theories like, for example, the lizard people. Right. Or uh, what's another one like that? The, the more like far out ones, no evidence. Yeah, it's just completely absurd, ludicrous. Like, what? I mean, there are people and there are lizards. Um, just saying. So I don't know if we want to go there, but there are people who deny that the Holocaust happened. I don't know if that's somewhere you want to go, but no. we could we could not go there this episode. But uh, that is a real thing that I have heard, and people. Say, I think well, that is but a again, perfect I think, example of what we're talking right. about. And I think we go back to what Andy was talking about earlier in terms of you have to look at why that would be, what's their motivation to claim that? And 100% of the people who claim the Holocaust didn't happen are racists. Or are people who cer- certainly yeah. were not there. Cer- certainly nobody who is old enough to have been in the right places at the right time during World War II has made that exact claim. So I think not thinking the Holocaust happened and there are reptile people who control the world are, I think, exactly on the same level of believability. And I would probably go ahead and throw Flat Earth up there, too. Right. And, and only because of exactly what you said. It's... I don't know how much a weather balloon and a GoPro costs. Maybe a few hundred dollars. Maybe like a thousand, two thousand. Like it's a very attainable amount of money. You can get together with a bunch of friends and all spend fifty bucks. And it's so easy do it to either to, to disprove essentially. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. 
With five stars on Amazon right now, the 600-gram professional weather balloon with a 100,000-foot burst altitude costs $72.99, and with four and a half stars, the Akaso EK7000 4K Wi-Fi Sports Action Camera Ultra HD Waterproof DV Camcorder 12-megapixel 170-degree wide angle costs only $59.99 or about $100 more for the name brand GoPro. So for the budget-conscious flat earther out there, you can prove one way or another if the earth is round for the low, low price of $132.98. All with free two-day shipping if you have Amazon Prime. Get out there and prove us globe earthers wrong. And now, back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. So, so at what point do you accept, because of a preponderance of evidence, a scientific theory like, let's compare evolution to something like reptilians? Oh. <laughs> like, at, at, one, at what point do you say, like, you know, I'm going to just figure it out myself and only use what my own senses can tell me to make observations about the universe? And at what point are you going to say, like, well, no, there's there's literature, and you don't have to believe all of the literature, but there's so much of it, it's piling up to the ceiling. Maybe there's something going on there. So can we get in the frustrating parts of people who believe these things? Because yeah, yeah. there's, again, critical thinking is amazing, and it shows a certain level of intelligence and curiosity that I'm absolutely 100% on board with. And and they'll cite well, the scientific method. I'm glad that you came back around to this critical thinking comment that you had made, because I, I had a thought when you brought it up earlier, and I want to go ahead and express it now. So I think that there's an important distinction to be made between critical thinking and, how do I say? Anti-authoritarianism? Yes. Yeah. I don't trust the government, so I'm going to just disagree with things that they're claiming or something like that. Like, there's right. a, there's a genuine... When you say critical thinking, that means really sitting down and looking at all of the available ed- evidence, or a, a, a attainable evidence at least, mm-hmm. and, and coming to the most logical conclusion based on that and that alone. Which now, is an excellent... Which is not what anti-vaxxers are doing. Well, this is an excellent on-ramp into the second part of what I was going to say, Good. which is the frustrating thing is you are smart and you're a critical thinker and you think about it only up to a certain point. Because, for example, people who don't believe scientists, that does not make any sense to me because the scientific method, you can go find a paper and the whole reason that that paper exists is because there is a scientific theory that shows that this thing is repeatable. We can go ahead and we can show that we found this evidence and this is how you find it for yourself. And maybe you need to have a doctorate to be able to understand it. But the frustrating thing about people who believe these things are they think that every piece of information should be understandable from their level of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And and I, I say intelligence in that it's something that they would be capable of, presumably. I'm not saying that they're dumb people. I'm saying that they're ignorant in like the like the truest sense of the word they don't know what they're talking about they're not interested in finding out what they're talking about they're interested in the narrative that they have built and pulling things in to help 
support that preconceived narrative that they already have. So in, in the UK, there's this uh, Royal Apothecary Society, and one of their foundational ideas is that um, I can question you about your conclusions, and I can question you about your theories, but I'm not going to question you about your your intellectual authenticity about your own observations. Yes. I'm not going to attack your character and just say no you didn't observe that. And that and that is a foundational rule. Now, I mean you should be able to replicate things. But if I'm just going to say like like, let's say that you discovered a new star, and I just say, no, you didn't observe right. it. Right. How far have we gotten in that conversation? <laughs> but like, if, we, we have not progressed very far. But if I say, I've discovered a new star, and then I invite you over to my house, and I pull out my telescope, and I say, it's there. Right. And that I, is that is something that and anybody... I could say And I could say, no, that's actually a planet, or no, that's actually a quasar. <laughs> exactly. Like... Or a supernova. But to say, no, you just didn't see that... And it's very self-defeating, and and we would not progress very far. And I keep on bringing it up, but, it, like, in those Facebook conversations I have, I never insult... Like, I will tear apart your ideas, like, they're tissue paper. But I try and very hard never to personally insult anybody. horrifying Well, that's if I can. <laughs> but the, the thing is, I will say, there have been times, yeah. uh, and I know this is probably t- true of the both of you, I always like to think that my mind is never set. Yes. And that's true of the scientific process too, right? Like that's why the theory of gravity is a theory because we leave, we leave the ability open for there to be new facts in the future. I try and like keep my opinions malleable to a certain extent. I, I think that that is a noble aspiration. And so on Facebook, I never attack anybody specifically. I will tear down ideas Ideally, I try and do it as respectfully as possible, but there's certain things that, like racism, I don't put up with that shit. I, there's a few things that you you are not a worthy person to me anymore, and there's there's not a lot of that, but it, it pretty much revolves around bigotry. Well, so, and there there's also, like, it can be difficult, maybe some people, this doesn't bother them at all, but it can be very difficult to try and reason with somebody who goes directly to personal insults, Mm. right? You present a reasoned argument to them that they should look at this evidence and, uh, you know, these are the conclusions that I'm drawing from it and what do you think about these conclusions? And then it's like, no, you are... They uh, say, shut up. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're, you're an idiot. Or, right. you know, so, something to Oh, that yeah, effect. what's your PhD in? Well, what, I will, what I'll say is my Facebook arguments end like that about half the time. Yeah. And at the end of those conversations, I say, well, I'm, I'm sorry we weren't able to, like, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry we weren't able to agree. Have a good day. Well, that's why... And I, that, like, infuriates them even more. I, like, I, I feel like if I was a stronger more centered, grounded person that that wouldn't be as much of an impediment. But I do have pride. You know, if mm-hmm. somebody goes directly to the the name calling, that doesn't really make me want to continue the conversation. I got bullied a lot in high school. And so I think I'm both like self-assured uh, from like certain like personal relationships I have and like don't have a lot of self-esteem simultaneously. So, like, if somebody attacks me, I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, I've, I've, like, 
have you, people you've like, been there. Like, right, I've had people I've, physically I've attack me. So, like, yeah. you calling me a dummy means nothing to me. I don't, yeah. right. I don't respect your opinion in the first place. So, like, yeah. why do I give a shit if you're going to call me an idiot? So, um, and, and I actually think that might be a fun episode to do is on all various, like, logical fallacies and, argue, you know, straw man arguments and yeah. hominem. Oh, I thought we were just going to, um, like, name red herrings and stuff. Like, I think that would be a really, really fun, fun episode yeah. to do because hey. with three of us, we could actually, like, kind of demonstrate some of these arguments. Ooh, but, we could, we but, could play the dozens where we just make fun of each other's moms. Ooh, that would be I've never heard of the dozens. Episode. The dozens is, like, yo, like yo mama jokes going back okay. and forth and sure. back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. So, um, another, another quote, if I may. Yeah. This one from uh, one of my favorite science fiction shows, Doctor Who, since you brought up UK and, and something else I, you said reminded me of this. I quote. loathe Doctor Who. I'm probably going to lose like a huge amount of fans, but. Why do you loathe Doctor Who? I don't know. It's... Well, we can talk about that later. <laughs> sure, yeah. See, that's, so, so that's a kind of dumb argument that I would go after on Facebook. Ugh, no, I mean, it's, it's hard to put my finger on like, like, it's you It's got that? like low budget, not very believable. That's uh, not true if you go back to the 60s. BBC, BBC, so good. BBC <laughs> so level, like, sci-fi uh, that I just, I, I have a hard time buying into that world. To be honest, so. I, I think low-budget sci-fi is the best sci-fi. I think campy sci-fi is the best sci-fi. I, I think camp. I think camp is strikes at the real heart of what I don't enjoy. I you don't see, like that that's so, at the essence of sci-fi for me. The original Star Trek. You hate it? No, I'm like if you don't like it, then that like leads me to believe that that's it's you it's pretty it's pretty medium for me. I don't like really like hate Star Trek. I I massively enjoy Douglas Adams. Mm. Yeah. So quick sidetrack with Star Trek and and William Shatner since yeah. he came up. Do you we know the game actually... that Donnie and I play? You know, yeah, you know. Oh, Donnie. I've Do heard. You know yeah, Shat- so so Donnie and I play this game called Shatner where. Um, one of us will just shout Shatner at the other one, and they have to stop stop doing what they're doing and start up again as William Shatner. Nice. Yeah, I don't think it's that funny. It's hilarious, especially because we'll play it by text, <laughs> which is completely stupid, and we love it. Anyway, so this Lexi, quote. Lex and I will play the Emilio Estevez game. Uh, why does Emilio think so highly of himself? Because he's Emilio better than the rest of us. <laughs> What kind of toothpaste does Emilio Estevez like to use? Emilio Crestevez. <laughs> it's just like you keep on. Uh, oh, that's man. great. So, what happens when Emilio Estevez makes out with Martin Sheen? Oh, no. Emilio Incestevez. Ew. That's disturbed. <laughs> anyway, that now that we've gotten rid of so, all our fans, right. let's go ahead and start yeah. back up. So, this, this quote from Doctor Who, and this is from the fourth Doctor, for those of you who are Who fans. You know, the very powerful and the very stupid have one thing in common. They don't alter their views to fit the facts. They alter the facts to fit the views. Which can be uncomfortable if you happen to be one of the facts that needs altering. Which can be uncomfortable if you happen to be one of the facts that needs altering. So that is a good quote. It's a good quote. Stephen Colbert, when he was doing the press dinner, uh, he was standing three feet away from George W. Bush and roasting him super hard. They they hired him, or, or somebody in uh, the communications office had heard that Colbert hosted 
a conservative talk show and they're like, oh, we should get him to do the, well, they the, do, the press they, they do get opposing viewpoints and they, they do get like satirist, uh, satirist, 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 Not- satirist from the other side of the aisle, uh, for the presidential dinner. It, that's a tradition. Some sometimes it doesn't <laughs> happen like this. But, Presidents with good sense of humor do. But Colbert said something to the extent of the greatest thing about this man is he's steady. You know where he stands. He believes the same thing Wednesday that he believed on Monday, no matter what happened Tuesday. <laughs> Events can change. This man's beliefs never will. That's the same quote, <laughs> basically. But. I mean, I, I, I love yeah. it. And that's the kind of thing, like, that's what frustrates me so much about Trump is he has an incuriosity about him that I think is at the heart of being, like, truly intelligent. He doesn't want to know. He thinks he knows. Right. So this well, episode and, and is not about politics. Okay, sure. <laughs> but um, I didn't mean to shut you down. If you want to uh, make your Well, the, 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 the uh, assumption that he... Would definitely be a genius, like and and regardless of any of the evidence that <laughs> that seems to abound. Oh no, and I don't, I I don't need anybody to be a genius. What I need them to be is to be curious about the information. I I need them to be interested. If you need to bust your ass to be able to understand something because it doesn't come to you as easily, that's not the kind of intelligence I'm I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is a passion, a curiosity. To get the information. A, a love of learning. Like right. A, well, that's a, in a large part why we started this podcast is because we love that. We yeah. all are very curious people. We want to learn more. This podcast, for at least for me, partially was just an excuse to look up some new stuff and learn enough about it to be able to teach other people about it. And Yeah, know, I'm not interested in that at all. I'm well, mostly interested in proving that I'm... <laughs> in that case, I'm going to go solo. <laughs> um, so, uh, but no, uh, so anyway... Uh, as so, we kind of wrap this up, like, wh- unless there's other big points. No, I think, I like, think what is the big takeaway? Let me ask you guys. I'm going to put you on the, on the spot here. Uh, I was because we were, <laughs> we were talking about earlier how we don't want to give people who believe in conspiracy theories. And I think specific, like specific theories more than others, a platform on our podcast that has eight listeners or whatever right now. I, I'm curious, like, I would be curious to bring somebody in to talk about this, that, or the other thing and have an honest conversation with them and treat them with respect, but not take their ideas at face value, yeah. like have facts. I think the problem we're going to have is with people like that. And I know I'm, I, I hate to generalize people. Um, so it wouldn't be everybody, but I think for you to have these types of beliefs, you need to have a fundamental allergy to certain types of truth. If I, if I give you source, you're going to tear down that source or you're going to say, well, there's another thing that disproves that and right. not be able, and not be able to tell me what that thing is. I think but- there's a very strong vaccine analogy hiding in here somewhere. <laughs> and that is that rather than be overpowered on this format and and give a platform to the loudest voice we need to introduce a, a a dead or weak version of 
the virus to give us an inoculation Ooh, so you're, you're against suggesting that we bring in a particularly <laughs> stupid anti-vaxxer. <laughs> no, no. What, it, what would yeah, be fun? No, I want to get the authentic arguments. I want to. I want to rather than set up straw men and knock down false arguments. I would rather get the real arguments and get at the the truth of those arguments. I think what would be fun, and I think we might be either getting to the same thing or like the adjacent things. It would be fun to get somebody on who used to believe in a conspiracy mm. theory and see what changed their mind. Somebody who is familiar with the facts, but has since seen the light. So there's this very funny thing. I consume a ton of media, and a lot of that is on the internet. And YouTube in particular has this algorithm that if they see you start to go oh, down yeah. a certain path, they will push you hard <laughs> over the edge. And uh, it's what I it's what I like to call the rabbit hole. I've been down the rabbit hole. How'd you come up with that term? Several times. It's Lewis Carroll. <laughs> yeah, I know. And <laughs> okay. And thank so, you for clarifying. So, I mean, if you want to talk to somebody who has like almost believed in some conspiracy theories sometimes like he's sitting right here, here because know. sometimes just like you're you're like if you, oh that that explains everything well, and part of that, <laughs> oh this no i'm so glad you brought this up because um because it's not just the preponderance of these videos in here but it's in quick succession it's the fact that they put one right after the other that youtube piles you on yeah that you'll watch for they've got an auto play four hours yeah that, that'll just wait, push you right into the next one and can, you, I, and wait, can i really quick pat ask you do you think youtube is a good verifiable source for information sometimes it so okay. no certain youtubers <laughs> Are good sources of right. information, right? Right. right. I, I think there, but YouTube. There are I would, people I can't who say that. There are people who use the platform that I absolutely think are good sources of information. Mm-hmm. Would I trust Alex a Jones? Would I? Would I? Tr- no. Well, he got kicked <laughs> off. Yeah, would did. I? Would I trust even like ninety five percent of them to be good sources of information? Absolutely not. But I think if you take something, you would, take I, something would, like, I t- would I take a random one off of the internet and right. just like picked, you know, rolled a dice and picked one completely at random and trust that as a good source of information? Absolutely not. And I think for for me, and we've talked about this before, but I love Kurgazat. Anybody know Kurt Kurgazat? Kurgazat. Kurgazat. Uh, sorry, there's a G T at the end, so it's Kurgazat. <laughs> so I love Kurgazat. I'm not at all guaranteed. I'm going to talk about this thing way more. But I love not them. They are great. I'm not guaranteeing I'm ever going to get their name correct. But Kurzgesagt, um that's pretty good. I love them because they will do 10 minute videos. They'll like source them uh, through through the roof, and every time they say something, they will put the source right up there on the screen. Right. So you can you can fact check them. Uh, that Adam, is very. Adam ruins everything. everything is, well. is another great thing. Bill Nye. And like even you go out. Wikipedia is a great source in that it's not a source at all. But any good article you look at, you go down, has all the sources you want. So you go ahead, you read, this thing is this, and you go through, and you go to this article or this book, and it will actually give you the actual source. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple of nits to pick with Adam Ruins Everything, but that could be a different 
episode. I don't know if we want to get into that today. Oh, uh, Be the Dead Source ruins Adam, ruins everything. Ah, uh, we could get famous for that. I'm pretty sure Adam has an Adam, ruins Adam, ruins everything too. They do probably every year. They uh, go ahead and they do an episode that's just correcting stuff that they've screwed up in the previous previous season. Right, and that's one reason I like that show. Yeah, is because intellectual honesty. I I, I do I do appreciate their intellectual honesty. I, right. I think that is the best feature of that show. And I think, but I I think they don't acknowledge their own biases. No, sure, I agree with that. But I think that's time. to a certain extent one thing that we're trying to do here too. Yes, with our fact checks. And we we say right like well, we definitely have biases we for sure but I think the three but of us we, have different we, biases. We look at them honestly. That's the thing. It's it's always interesting to me with the different conversations because sometimes we'll triangulate well where each of us will have a different opinion. Sometimes all three of us have the same opinion. Sometimes it'll be two on one. But I think at the end of the day, Almost. all three of us are interested. In getting to what is correct, not what we believed in when we walked in. Yeah. I usually pick the thing that like, neither of you guys agree with. Right. Because I'm a contrarian. Which is fine. <laughs> I'm just saying you don't have to don't have to uh, always protect Trump. <laughs> Christopher Hitchens book called Letter to Open Letter to a Contrarian to a Young Contrarian. Oh, that's kick ass. Great book. I would read that. Yeah, that's good. Speaking of great books, uh Precious Moments. Precious moments. Anybody uh, have anything that made him laugh this week? I have to look. If, if I have, if I have like ten minutes to think about it, I might have one. So you know what I did this this week is there's been a number of things all over the news with coronavirus, which is sort of a a part of how anti-vax came into our conversation this week is with the spread of the coronavirus. And just to kind of take a, a little bit of a lighter note on that, I guess, there's, maybe it's not that light of a note, though. It's maybe sad and <laughs> I could depressing. take a darker note on it for a but, second. But um, since the coronavirus has been sweeping across the world, taking lives and whatnot, um, first of all, Americans are learning how to wash their hands, which is nice. <laughs> we still touch our faces. That's, too much. that's so great that um, we are learning that now. Yeah. God, Americans are gross. <laughs> it's um, like when they say, when Americans want to learn geography, they go to war. <laughs> do, you, do you think it's, I mean, geography, yes, I think is a uniquely American problem. Do you think not washing your hands is a uniquely American problem? No. Do you think no. not washing your hands is a human being problem? I don't know. I think it's just, yeah, lazy. I, I, people I, are lazy. I think it's, it's I think it's all over the yeah. globe. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, people problem. But also, there's been a huge drop in sales of Corona Light beer. That That is actually a myth. Is that it? is that is an urban oh. legend. Yes. Let me The facts the facts on that are not uh presented accurately. I'm going to look it up right now because we're going to do so a live you, fact. So I think you had mentioned this. So there was a study that came out that said something like 38% of Americans would not drink Corona beer because they thought it had something to do with the coronavirus. Oh, right, and that's not what happened no, at all. They the, they the sent out was would you drink Corona beer? Yeah, and they and, said no. And like more than a third of people, which is actually fewer than I would have expected, but only a third of people said, no, Corona's gross. Yeah, <laughs> and which then, is fair. And then they said there was like another number, uh, 14% of people didn't know like how the coronavirus spreads, which is not the question that they asked. The question that they asked was, do you know the etymology of 
the word Corona in the context of coronavirus. And people were like, uh, straight up. I do not know. What's yeah, me the, either. What so, is- so Corona is a crown and the molecule that is a coronavirus. It's like this. Uh, you can't see this on the podcast, but I'm making like a globe with my hands. Mm-hmm. It's this globe. And it has proteins sticking off of it that are kind of like little little T shapes, like like the T square that you would see. And they a, look uh, an they look like a crown. And yeah, there's they're stuck all over this sphere, and that sphere makes what scientists call like a crown. So that's why it is a corona. I'm gonna take so, a shot in the dark and say. You can look that up on Google. Yeah. So speaking the, of the looking shapes up real quick, um, we all trust Reuters. Yes. Sure. Reuters. Reuters. I think. I think I don't trust Reuters. Who Who makes Reuters? No, Reuters. Reuters is, makes Reuters, Reuters. Reuters is very trustworthy. Reuters. Oh, okay. I mean, you can. Not I might trust be. I might be thinking of Ruptly, which is different. I don't know Ruptly. I don't know so, what that well, is. I would not trust them. Um, yeah. Reuters, I believe is one of the most yeah. trustworthy it's like the, news it's sources. It's like the AP. Yeah, sure. Very, okay. It's like an international AP, basically. All right, dope. Um, if you... Whatever. They're um, like BBC level of trustworthy. At, yeah. at least. Sure. Um, okay. So, Corona Beer Maker says, U.S. sales remain strong despite virus outbreak. The Modelo Especial Beer Maker also said, all units supporting its beer business are seeing positive sales trends for the brand thus far in 2020, despite claims about the impact of the coronavirus on its business. So thank cool. you, Pat. For so so this study that was that bullshit. was brought forward and is very popular because people are very quick to believe. Now I do believe in the fundamental stupidity of humankind and sure in particular why not Americans. But I mean that makes this idea spread quicker than, like you said, than the truth does. Mm-hmm. If I can go ahead and bring up something uh because I think this was funny and then it wasn't true, and then it was just okay. If I could bring us down a little bit, um, one shitty thing that's happened because of the coronavirus is sales of Chinese food and Chinese products Ooh, in general yeah. have gone down significantly, at least in the United States. Chinatowns are deserted now. Like, I've seen multiple pictures of people shunning people in Target because they're Asian and they coughed or something like that. Although it is very funny... Uh, if any of you have Asian friends, I'm sure a lot of them like will cough at racists, and it's pretty funny to watch them <laughs> run away. Uh, but I think that is one thing that is a real bummer because the thing is, if you think about Chinese restaurants, generally they're not chains; they may all serve the same type of food, but they're all like right, small, they're, they're independent, normally family-owned. And so, if people don't eat there, it really bums them out. So, I'm so gonna, I got one more quote for us. For this week, love it. One relating to what we're talking about here, and another from a, from a movie that this we is all precious, love. This is sure, Christian moments. Sure, it is. Okay. Um, one uh, one of our favorite movies, Men in Black. Heck yeah! Uh, a person is smart. Well, why why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Fifteen hundred years ago, everybody knew. The Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. I well, always, I do I kind love of that quote. Yeah, I've always loved that quote, and I do believe that. I think I've said something 
to that extent on the podcast before. I think indiv- in- individuals are smart. Groups of people are dumb. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've noticed myself in crowds and there is a different psychology that's going on when you are in a crowd. Oh, Let sure. me tell you, as an Uber driver, I'm pretty scared about like, are people going to stop going out soon? For for crowds? or am I going to get am I going to get sick and I'm not going to be able to drive for mm. two weeks? Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, that's that's a fact that uh, you know that this virus uh, spreads airborne. You know, it's it's not something where you have to have, like, saliva-to-saliva contact. Right, right. Someone can cough. And just by basis of that transmission, plus the fact that it incubates in people for, like, several weeks without showing symptoms, 80% of people don't show symptoms at all but are still contagious. So, I mean, you've got a lot of factors that say, like, eh, you know, it could it could wind up. So this has really been wind a up long, over here. precious moment, but... Basically, coronavirus. Wash your hands. This it's, is only uh, your part of it, too. Yeah, I know. Well, it's I've got, I've got one dying, real quick. People are sick, but also go get the flu vaccination because if you can cut down on the strain on hospitals and the healthcare system, it will help them be more effective in dealing with the coronavirus. Heck that yeah. is my precious moment. So I am, I am a terrible media junkie. I'm a huge addict, and I do, I do spend a lot of my time. Consuming media, uh, something that I've come across is in British Parliament, they have these, uh, it's, it's very different from American Parliament. They have all of these rules where like, if you're sitting down, you, your microphone's not turned on and you're not supposed to make arguments. If you want to make an argument, you like stand up, but then there's also everybody shouting at the same <laughs> right. time. So yeah. you, you sort of have an advantage by having like the loudest voice in the room. And then they also have this person at the front called the speaker, and he's wearing, like, judge's robes. And it's his job to not take sides politically, um, even though uh, this one guy that I was watching is a uh, a former conservative party who went over to the speaker. And I think that whole side is is like associated with the crown or something. I'm not really sure how it works over there. But um so he's supposed to stay impartial. But no, he also Mitch McConnell during the impeachment trial. Well, it's supposed to be cuz he is also a speaker. Yeah. I, and it's based on the same parliamentary system although yeah. I mean there are differences. So just to relate it to something that Sure, sure. Yeah, so so the speaker also has all of these rules about keeping things civil. Like we are not supposed to name call and if somebody does name call the speaker will like call them out and say like you know you have to apologize for saying or retract your statement from the record uh Man. for for saying for calling somebody like for example like uh I think the one I was watching somebody called uh one of the female prime uh ministers or MPs it's it's not prime minister it's me- uh member of parliament uh called her mouthed stupid woman at her, didn't even say it out loud, but mouthed stupid woman at her during parliamentary proceedings. And, like, he uh, didn't get caught that week, but sometime later, like, had to, he got called out and had to apologize. Like, if you say something out of order, they will kick you out of the House of Commons. And so I was just, I was very entertained by this video of this guy. He's an ex-conservative, I guess maybe still conservative, whatever. Um, this speaker, uh, John Burkow. And the videos of him are very entertaining. 
um, because half of the time is spent, um, the members of the House of Commons are being like really rambunctious and like chanting or yelling or just won't shut up. And it's him yelling like, order, oh. order. Yes, I know like that. For, no for like seven minutes mm-hmm. yelling order. 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 Sit, order. I know what I'm doing. Order. Uh, order. Order, 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 Zen, restraint, patience. It's uh, so that was my precious moments for the week. Was just I found that very entertaining, and it's it's so different from uh, American parliamentary proceedings. I was just kind of fascinated with it. That's and awesome. Before you bring us in, Pat and I actually shared a precious moment in the last week. Last last episode, as you all listeners obviously know, or listener, I don't know, was about existentialism. Sarge Camus. We we talked. We it came up even today. Yeah. Um, you the guys, next day, you guys remember we Pat said the day together. the Camus music died. Oh my god! Man, that's so good. So still we have good. an announcement for our listeners. We are now kicking Nathan off of the podcast. Uh-huh. Well, we're going to start doing reviews um, of media, different well, kinds of media. Well, oh, we could even got call together. it media junkies. Ooh, That's not go. taken. I'm definitely down. But Pat that, and I got together and watched taken. this movie, um, which came out I ages ago. I Heart Huckabees. Um, which has uh, it's a it's a satire of existentialism, essentially. But <laughs> we have. <laughs> I kept on sending them gifts of Mike Huckabee. Time. I wasn't around, but right, that's different. Yeah, different. <laughs> different um, but you know, if you if you enjoyed that episode, then go ahead and throw on that movie. So I did enjoy that movie, and I thought it was very pointless and confusing at the oh, end. Totally, I did come up. That's with, kind of the point. I did come up with a reason why I think it has some teeth to its argument at the end, but we can save that. As a teaser for tune the, in next week for the episode <laughs> where we review I Heart Huckabees. So. Mini fact check. What Andy and Pat don't seem to understand is a teaser is, quote, an advertising or promotional device intended to arouse interest or curiosity, especially in something to follow. And clearly their teaser did none of that. Mini fact check. Same source time, same source channel. Yep. So, uh... I really enjoyed our conversation with Lolita, and one of the things uh, that I had brought up uh, that we all agreed was hilarious was a Key and Peele sketch about uh, Obama code switching, and I grew in a line of like African Americans and uh, and white people, and so that got me down the YouTube rabbit hole of just Key and Peele sketches, and uh, I have been dying about Luther uh, Obama's uh, anger translator. This I saw that. That was funny. Oh, and that so was really he, great. They did a. I they did a, this one. Okay, so the idea is, Key and Peele sort of realized that you know how Obama was just even keel all the time. You couldn't get a rise out of him. Just always calm. So Luther, the anger translator, Obama would say something. They had a no, number of sketches, but Obama would say something, and then he would like Luther would come in and just like go off and, like, say how Obama actually felt about this thing. Rage about it. 
And then and then they did that at another one of those presidential dinners. Yes. And so the I watched a few of the sketches and then there's the correspondence dinner, uh the White House correspondence dinner, and they had Key Michael Key come in and do Luther the Anger Trans uh, uh Luther uh the Ang- Obama's uh, anger, anger management translator. Trans- there we go. Um, with actual Obama, as opposed to uh, Jordan, yeah. yeah, as opposed to Jordan Peele, who would normally do his Obama impression. And, and then so, I think Obama went off. What was it about? Was it healthcare? Yeah, Ob- there was Go something. Ahead. There was so, something that Obama went like off on, and then actually got more angry than his then, anger trends. And then yeah, and then Luther Luther eventually is like, yeah. whoa. You, you don't. I have that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you got problems. You need counseling. <laughs> and then starts, starts walking off, starts walking off stage, and then stops at Michelle, docks down, and is like, he crazy. <laughs> and so it was funny. amazing. But the thing that I loved, so I would watch in this order. I would watch just all of the uh, Luther anger management uh, uh, sketches. I would then watch because Akeem Michael Keegan. Uh, did a variety of, he did it on Conan and he did it on Jimmy Kimmel and he did it on Fallon where he talks about what it was like to actually rehearse with Obama to do this thing. Hmm. And he said, the craziest thing is he's so tactile that he loves to like hold people and touch people and hug. So he walked in the door and pretty much attacked me. He's like, there he is, there he is, my man, there he is, Kate. there he is, there he is. So he gets right on top of me and I'm going, don't shoot me! He's touching me! You know, yeah. I just imagine the red dots all yeah, over yeah, me like, yeah, okay, yeah. Get get away. the package away, away the package away. Away from the package. Hilarious to watch him do that. You can then find, after that, you can then find footage of them rehearsing together, and then you want to watch the footage from the correspondence dinner. I will go ahead and put all of those things in order in the show notes, which is now a thing we can do, guys. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So I can't help but think, like, man, all I refer to is media. Am I an uninteresting person? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, man. But no more than the rest of us. Anyway... Uh, this was a long episode of Nothing Else. I hope people liked it. Anybody got anything else today? Alright. I guess I really need to come up with a catchphrase. I want to thank you guys for putting in the effort to, to learn something today. Okay, let's try. Is that a new catchphrase? Trying something out. Alright. I like it.